I'm Malik from Malik Books, your community bookstore, specializing in African-American books and gifts full of culture diversity, the total African-American experience that brings the world together. MalikBooks.com, your place to shop for books. MalikBooks.com. Malik Books is what you need. That's what we're doing here, researching, 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 trying to find the truth. Uh, That is our goal, our mission every day, to seek the truth, to speak the truth, and when we find it, to stand on the truth. But we're searching every single day, and I'm glad to have you join the search with us. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, I've been waiting on this hour. I love, love, love me some Sandy Banks. Uh, and in this hour, conversation with Sandy uh, about whether or not it's time to scrap that, um, that people of color label and its uh, twin communities of color. Uh, along with all the pretense that uh, all non-white groups can be seamlessly yoked together with in the fight for equality by the color of our skin. These sort of one-dimensional terms that suggest we can only move forward in lockstep. Uh, During more than three decades at the L.A. Times, Sandy Banks has served as reporter, editor, editorial writer, and internship director. But she's best known, for those of us who love her work, for her personal columns, which focus on private lives, public policy, and people who inspire and infuriate us. Uh, it is my pleasure once again to welcome to this program, L.A. Times columnist Sandy Banks. Sandy, how are you today? I'm very well, Tavis. Thank you. And I'm, I'm glad to be on because I, I love your interviews and I love <laughs> listening to you and I love talking to you. Thank you. You are too kind. You are too kind. I wanted to talk to you the minute I saw this piece drop. Um, the piece was titled is titled, you can find it on the LA Times, Google it's everywhere, Lessons of the Audio Leak, Solidarity is Dead, Let's Ditch the Label, People of Color, Lessons of the Audio Leak, Solidarity is Dead, Let's Ditch the Label, People of Color. You know how I do it around here, we have an hour, so let me start with a broad question and we'll narrow our way. Let me start before I even do that by saying, as you well know, um, Kevin DeLeon gave us the talk radio exclusive, and uh, I spent an hour with him in this studio. He was seated in that chair right in front of me, and for an hour we went at it uh, about this, and it got picked up by every news organization in the country. It was the first time he sat for an hour, the first time he had actually faced the black people to whom he had, uh, uh, the folk he had offended most, I think, not only, but certainly most, to my mind, on that tape. So he came in here. And we had that one-hour conversation. So I've had my say about this tape. Uh, I want to give Sandy her say about the tape. So, again, the big question I want to ask to begin, because this is where, you know, this is the meat of your column here. Um, when you heard that tape, it put you on the path to writing this column eventually. But just give me your thoughts, broadly speaking, of what you heard, Sandy, when you heard the tape. And for those who have been living under a rock, the tape we're talking about, of course, is the tape of these four Latino leaders in this city who were on tape just demonizing and and bashing everybody, principally African-Americans, um, those persons, Nuri Martinez, Ron Herrera, Gil Cedillo, and Kevin DeLeon. Nuri Martinez, quick update, as you may remember, resigned her post as president of the L.A. City Council. Uh, Ron Herrera uh, resigned his position as a powerful labor leader in this city. And by the way, the person who took Ron Herrera's place, in case you don't know, this is a black woman. First time a black woman has led the Federation of Labor here in L.A. We're working on getting her on this program as a guest. We'll talk more about that. Her name is Yvonne Wheeler. But Yvonne Wheeler, believe it or not, a black woman for the first time ever, took that powerful labor position after Ron Herrera uh, resigned. So that is history in and of itself. We'll talk to Yvonne Wheeler in the days ahead on this program. Um, Kevin DeLeon has refused to resign even to this day. 
And Gil Cedillo was out of the office in a matter of days anyway. Uh, he lost his race earlier this year, and so he's termed out, but he did not resign, and it appears that he will survive uh, not resigning in the next couple of weeks until he retires from his position on the L.A. City Council. So that update for those across the country who've been wondering, you know, or may have forgotten how we arrived at this point and where we are today. All that said, Sandy, your thoughts on the tape? Um, I was angry, of course, but um, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I've been around a long time. I think you used the phrase once about we are the last generation um, connected to the Jim Crow era, and I am part of that. And, and so I know these feelings exist. Um, but what really got my goat and why it took me a long time, uh, more than a week after that, to write this was in their apologies, they all kept talking about I'm serving people of color and communities of color, and I've done my best with that, and I'm going to keep serving people of color. And what they really meant was we're going to keep serving Latinos. They didn't mean people of color because they were clearly, you know, denigrating all these other people of color. And I just start thinking about that and how it's used as cover so often for people who are really concerned with only their group um, or for people who are not concerned with any of our groups, mm-hmm. but yeah. use the umbrella label. Um, and so, so that's what got me thinking about it. And I picked the brain of two very smart people, uh, USC professor Jody Armour and um, Professor Guerra at uh, Loyola Marymount, who has studied ethnic relations in L.A. for a long time. And, um, and what, what it made me, and having the labor leader there, too, also really um, piqued something in me, because I remember back in the 1980s, when I first, that was when I started at the Times, early 80s, and um, the Justice for Janitors movement was mm. getting all this attention, and it was, you know, going to raise the, the to living wages for janitors. But what was never mentioned in all of that was that most of the janitors in Los Angeles had been black mm. for generations, and and they were making actually they were making good enough wages. I talked. I remember talking to many many black men who had bought homes and raised kids and put kids through college on the wages they made as janitors. Mm-hmm. But what happened when a flood of immigrants came in was the company, companies began organizing them to uh, get contracts with these companies who then hired the black people that they had you know, employed to do the job and let, you know, contracted it out to immigrants who were working at much lower pay. And so then you know, they became concern that, oh, well, these people aren't making enough pay, so the, the labor unions begin organizing them, and it culminated in this big, giant Justice for Janitors march that got worldwide attention mm-hmm. and raised their wages. But nothing ever happened. There was no justice for those black men who'd lost those jobs and whose families then, you know, wound up often having to move. That's part of the big push to Lancaster and Palmdale and Moreno Valley, because these men could no longer support their families. So you had justice for one group of people, but that was built on the injustice to another group, and that was that was my group, our group. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of the story of America. Um, and so that's that's when it just struck me that, that something needs to be said about this. And, you know, black people, we've always known that we need coalitions. You know, mm-hmm. it was... It was, you know, Jewish people that, that partnered with us during the civil rights struggle. Uh, Antonio Villaraigosa was elected the first Latino mayor with black support, and that was because that was a man that walked the walk. You know, he had been coalitioning with black people since he was in high school. So we always knew that we need coalitions. 
but as our numbers shrink in this city, the other groups don't need us for coalitions. Mm. So what do we get out of people of color? You know, that's, that's what struck me. Mm. Um, and, and I was, and you know, Tavis, I was afraid uh, kind of a little to do it because I didn't want to be seen as, you know, denigrating the label or, mm. or the concept. Mm. I think the concept is a good one. And, and I think we've made it, you know, we're making it work in, in national elections. But I just wanted to say that it's not, it's not a useful label right now for groups that are not the dominant yeah. group among the people of color. When I saw the piece, uh, again, with that headline especially, I said, Sandy, who's never been, you know, Sandy's a, she's a columnist, and so she's, she's, she's unafraid to express herself. You have to be when you're writing a column. Um, but it was a bold statement. It was a bold move to say um, to this city and to the nation uh, that maybe it's time to stop using that phrase, people of color. Maybe communities of color just doesn't serve us uh, well as as a phrase. And I've always believed that slogans aren't solutions anyway. Um, so that 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 yeah. that sloganing that sloganeering sloganeering, I could if I can get it out, sloganeering and and these these labels that we have put on us. Uh, uh, to your point, don't often serve us well. But it was a bold bold piece to write. And when we come forward, I, I want to ask before we get back into interrogating the actual piece, because I got questions specifically about some things you said in the piece. Um, but I. I, I want to ask uh, when we come forward, uh, what kind of response Sandy got? You heard her say a moment ago that she was a bit afraid uh, to, to write the piece. I'm glad she did. We need to have this conversation. We're going to have it for the next hour. But I am curious as to what kind of response she got when she put that piece out in a city like L.A. that is multicultural, multiracial, and multiethnic. So delighted to have L.A. Times columnist Sandy Banks join us in this hour. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Malik books. I'm Malik from Malik Books, your community bookstore specializing in African-American books and gifts full of culture diversity. The total African-American experience that brings the world together. MalikBooks.com, your place to shop for books. MalikBooks.com. Malik Books is what you need. Let's get back to Sandy Banks, L.A. Times columnist on uh, KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, delighted to have her in as our guest in this hour. So, Sandy, before I move forward, um, that question that I posed a moment ago, what kind of response um, did you get to the column? You, as you said, you were somewhat afraid to push it out there. And again, for those who may have just tuned in and didn't see Sandy's, Sandy's piece of just a few days ago, it's called Lessons of the Audio Leak. Solidarity is dead. Let's ditch the label people of color. So we're talking in this hour about whether or not it's time to do away with labels like people of color communities of color because we black folk don't really get much out of that these days um but what kind of response did you get when that piece hit well i tell you Travis, it was uh it was surprising to me um the email started flowing in really early in the, in the morning it ran and almost all of them were from white people and saying yay brava great column which made me a little nervous, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I got kind of a stomachache because I thought, all right, these people are probably equating this with my endorsement of colorblindness, which I, which I don't endorse, which I think is ludicrous and mm -hmm. is just a way of avoiding, you know, the issue of race. But the, the more that came in and the more I read them, there were people who were, who were very thoughtful and who were struggling with how to address these kind of racial issues themselves. And they were still mostly white, I would say. And again, I'm going, some, some people said up front, I'm a white woman, I'm 73, mm -hmm. I'm this is that. But some I could tell from the, the names or I could tell from kind of where they lived. But, but they were really um, 
eager for a place to talk about this mm-hmm. and a place and, and someone to help them sort out people of color and all that. And I think, you know, my, my two sources in the column were, were, were wonderful. And one, Jody Armour, kept, his point was that this is really a way to, you know, evade blackness and to distance yourself from blackness and that people of color are really trying to, it's a route to whiteness, mm-hmm. you know, or, or honorary whiteness, to status, to the high status group. And so black people are going to be at the bottom of the people of color hierarchy, just we're at, like we're at the bottom of the American public hierarchy. And, and people were intrigued by that, and white people thought that was a new perspective they hadn't thought about. So I guess I was heartened a little because there were so many people that were willing to, you know, ask some questions and, and wanted to understand this. But I was also perplexed by um, by the the there wasn't a lot of black people. But I have to say, as time went on, more and more black people were responding, mm-hmm. and and I got a couple of you know angry, why do you hate Latinos kind of things from right. from Latino readers. But I also had a lot of Latinos responding, um, you know, that, that agreed with me. So. It was a real uh, surprise for me, and, and I had expected, you know, mostly black people to respond, yeah. but, but it did. It, it gave me hope a little bit, too, I have to say. There were very few ugly responses. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing here because, first of all, you should know by now. You've been black your whole life. You should know by now. We ain't, we, we ain't, ever, the, we ain't ever the first ones to do anything, Sandy. It takes That's us a while. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably don't subscribe to the L.A. Times. Somebody had to tell them about yeah. it, and then they read it later, or it was on it, Twitter, or whatever. It, so, it, yeah. it, it, took us, it took us some time uh, to get our thoughts together um, and to get around to, to, to pinning the paper. You, you know we ain't, you know the good white folk are always first to respond to everything, and That's black folk right. are always the last right. to respond to stuff. I, I don't know if we're at the bottom of the hierarchy, but we, I, I know we are last when it comes to, to sounding off. Unless you do and say certain things to us, then we'll, we'll get our backs up pretty quickly. But, 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 to that, but, but to that point about black folk, um, the point that you said that USC law professor Jody Armour makes in your piece, about the fact that these these categories, these labels aren't good for us, people of color, communities of color, there are others, because we still end up being at the bottom of those hierarchies. My question, point blank, is whether or not um, you think he's right about that, that we are, black folk, are at the bottom of these hierarchies, even though people love to use these phrases. I think I think we are. and it, I mean, it, I guess it depends on how each individual perceives the hierarchy, yeah. and whether it's a kind of an established, institutionalized thing or whether it's an informal thing. But you know we had we've had stories um, recently about Latinos. Most of the uh, harassment and racial harassment going on in workplaces now that comes to the attention of authorities is Latinos demeaning black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know we we read we had a series of stories on Elon Musk and his factories where you got people using the N word regularly and openly mm-hmm. and calling the places that that black people work the plantation. So there is, a, and, and, and I don't know if this is a, you know, a Trump-fueled revolution now that everybody's free to say what they've always been thinking, or do they think less of us now? I think some of it is as other groups grow, you know, we're no longer the biggest minority in the country, and, and, we're, and we're the, the smallest in Los Angeles. So I don't know if that's empowering people to, to, yeah. be, to let their racism out, you know, but, um, but I do think 
I do think, yeah, I think I think that if you if, if workers are, I mean, employers are given choices between blacks and Latinos, they're going to choose Latinos. They're not going to complain. They're going to work hard. Black mm-hmm. people are always wanting something. You know, that's the you know we we built this country. We are entitled to want things. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, affirmative action. I mean, is another thing that was not created just to get diversity. It was it was recompensed to us for not being able to be educated, for not being able to go to good schools, for not being able to live in good neighborhoods that we were, by by law, blocked out of. And now you've got Asian people, you know, Americans complaining about, you know, affirmative action, you know, and it's not helping them. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't meant for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the, you know, I had to have a line in there about people of color being a way for others to glom on to our our gains, the gains that we made, you know, the, over centuries, little by little. And and I don't, you know, and I don't want to even, I always worry about now I'm coming off as being, you know, the racist against other people, but, but I don't feel that way at all. I just feel like we need to get our due. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so yeah, I, I do think we're at the bottom of the hierarchy, and I think that's the way America was built. And, you know, Jody Armour made a good point. I didn't know this about him, but his mother was Irish, mm-hmm. and his father was black. And his mother, she said, had to work her way to whiteness, because the Irish were, you know, d- demeaned, too. The Irish, the Italians, they were oh, yeah. not white when they came here. But she was able to, to lift herself to whiteness. But... That is not something that you know brown people, black people like us can do, and um, and so you know we're we're kind of consigned to be who we are and where we are, and other groups you know know that and take mm-hmm. advantage of that. You, you, you've said a few things uh, just here now, as you always do, that just make me think. Let me run through these things right quick um, and get your quick takes on these, and then we'll um, after this pivot go back directly inside the piece. Um, let me start with the latter point you just made. How do you process? Because I have my own views about this, and uh, anyway, h- how did you process that black folk, to the point you made a moment ago, are always every other group's litmus test? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to process that, Tavis. I don't know even. I'm, I'm, I'm in my late sixties, and I don't know that I have, have processed it yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of the the you know the the lesser. Uh, lifespan we have is because some of those things, I mean, how do you process it? You either have to accept, oh, well, mm-hmm. or you have to say we're going to fight it. But then you look around, you look at what's happening in, in elections around the country, and how do you even fight it? So I, I don't know that I have process. I think yeah. it eats at me. Um, and and I don't and I used to I, I I tell you here's the one thing I do think there's a generation of young people coming up that have gone to school together, lived together, listened to the same music, gone to the same parties, have the same fashions. I have hope that this next generation um, and married each other. You know, mm-hmm. I, no matter the races, I have hope that that next generation is going to blur the lines more so that that it won't be black people as the litmus test. Yep. That's the only thing I can hold on to. The other issue that you raise um, is that we are shrinking uh, black people inside the city of Los Angeles. Uh, and this didn't just start with Karen Bass's election, obviously, uh, or prior to. Uh, I work for Tom Bradley, as you know, that's uh, the first black mayor of the city. That's how my mm-hmm. career in L.A. started. And 
Tom Bradley, of course, did something that no other mayor will ever do because they've changed the, changed the law since then. But he was mayor for five terms, five four-year terms, <laughs> yeah. mayor for 20, 20 consecutive years. Tom Bradley was mayor of Los Angeles. And when you look at the data, which is incontrovertible in this regard, black people, the black population in Los Angeles proper was shrinking every year, every time Tom Bradley ran for re-election. So he yep. runs in 69, loses to Sam Yorty. He wins against Sam Yorty in 73. And every four years from 73 on for the next 20 years, Tom Brady stands for re-election. He won every time. But the population mm-hmm. of black folk inside the city was shrinking with every uh, election. And yet Tom Brady continued to win. I raise this issue now because this is not just true in L.A. We're heard across the country, of course. And across the country, we know that it's just a matter of time. Pardon me for using the phrase. Just a few years from now, people of color will be the majority in this country. Uh, White folk, for the first time, will be outnumbered. But the black numbers continue to shrink. As a black person, given that we are the litmus test and given that we're at the bottom of the hierarchy, how do you process that our numbers are shrinking so dramatically, Sandy? Uh, Again, I I think it's... I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what process means on that, Tavis, because it's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, they don't want us to have more babies. You know, yeah, they don't true. want us to grow. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I don't. I, I, I can't process it. And I'm going to ask you that Tom Bradley story is phenomenal. And what was different? I know he ran a great campaign, mm-hmm. and I have to. I'm sure you have some credit for that, but. But were people did were people more open minded then, or what what allowed him to win all those terms without having to rely on black people to carry him? Yeah, I think there are a couple of answers. One, I mean, Tom Bradley got really connected, and I've I've got a critique of this as well. I mean, I I work for Tom Bradley, but because I work for you doesn't mean I can't critique you. I thought that Tom mm-hmm. Bradley, in retrospect, was oftentimes too close to the to the white West Side folk. Uh, that troubled mm-hmm. me at times, even working for Tom Bradley. But one, he had the backing of the white West Side money. Uh, the Jewish community certainly supported Tom Bradley, but uh, but more than that, Tom Bradley was a coalition builder. Um, and when you, whenever people hearken back to the Tom Bradley era in the city, the first thing you talk about is that he built the kind of coalition that nobody since him has built. Uh, Via Ragoso, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, did a good job. Karen Bass, we'll talk about in a second. Karen Bass has done that, it seems, this time around, building a coalition to get elected. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it was because Tom Bradley was the ultimate coalition builder. Uh, and I think that's what made him, uh, allowed him to survive for five terms and, and almost become governor of this state. I'm still saddened to this day, still sick to my stomach to this day, that Tom Bradley lost being the black governor of California by less than, not even, but less than one vote per precinct in the state of California. That's how close he became. Uh, he came, rather, to becoming uh, the black governor of this state. More with Sandy Banks when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. Sandy Banks, I hope I answered your question about Tom Bradley. That's the way I see it. Uh, he was a great coalition builder, and that's what allowed him to be mayor of the city of L.A. for uh, 20 years. I want to get back, though, to the, some things that you said that I want to uh, sort of interrogate. You mentioned these white people, uh, many of them who responded to the piece that you wrote. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to Sandy Banks of the L.A. Times uh, about her provocative piece. It got a whole lot of attention uh, when it dropped. The headline, Lessons of the Audio Leak, Solidarity is Dead. Let's Ditch the Label People of Color. We'll talk in a moment about whether or not solidarity really is dead. Um, but I'm curious, to all those white people that responded to you, and your sense was that they were you know, advancing this notion of uh of 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 
they, they were applauding. Let, let me rephrase that. They were applauding the piece you wrote. They liked the article, but they liked it because it spoke to them uh, in in this vein of color blindness, which I which I don't like, and I know you don't subscribe to it either. But but what what do you make of their obsession with color blindness? So that when you when they see a piece like this that says get rid of labels like people of color, get rid of labels like communities of color, they think yay, somebody advancing the notion of color blindness. What 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 is their obsession with color blindness as you see it? Because they're desperate to to be on the right side of things, but yet they're not able to just see us as regular full people, you know, and. And so they have to hold up an idea that, well, I just see the black people like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm colorblind. I don't see color. That's, you know, I, I hear that a lot. I heard a lot of people. I grew up taught not to see color. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives them, I mean, it's got to be uncomfortable to have been in control and in power for all these generations, you know, and now... Everywhere you look, all the ads on TV and the magazines and all black people everywhere, you know, <laughs> that has to be uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, one thing Jody Armour said, he talked about that, that there's been a, a message that is in, etched into our psyches by America, and that is that we're at the bottom, mm. you know, and that, and, and it's, and it's a, that color matters. Because even when they talk about colorblind, light-skinned people are okay. Mm-hmm. But the darker you are, and we heard that in the tape when Nuri Martinez was mocking the, you know, indigenous people mm-hmm. that are, have people in Koreatown, and they're dark, and they're little, and they're ugly. And, you know, so I think, I think a lot of it is, is, I mean, I think it's complicated, but I think they don't want to give up what they had, you know, and who knows, if I was in power, you know, all these centuries, I might not mm-hmm. want to give it up either. Yeah. But I think that that colorblindness is their way of saying, uh, you know, we're, we're okay. We're right. We, we like you. We, we just don't see that you're black. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, so, I, I find myself reminding people all the time, cause I hear that as often as you do. And I remind people all the time, the good white people who I talk to, um, since they seem to like MLK, that's that's one Negro who they did like uh, MLK. Yeah. So I, I I use him as the way in, <clears throat> and I share with them that nowhere in King's writings, nowhere in his speeches, nowhere in his sermons, nowhere will you ever hear King use the phrase "colorblind" anything. He did not believe right. in colorblindness. He wanted black right. folk to be respected uh, for who we are. He wanted our humanity and our dignity. Uh, to be uh, to be celebrated, uh, but he never advanced this notion of colorblindness, and that tends to get their attention from time to time. If they know that King didn't believe in colorblindness, maybe you're not on the right mm-hmm. track then. Um, so I just use King as, as my way in. Um, in the headline of your piece, um, as I said a few times already, and I'll say again, lessons of the audio leak: solidarity is dead. Let's ditch the label "people of color." Is solidarity dead to your mind? Um, no, it's not dead. It's not dead, and and I have to say, I mean, I'm sure you know this too. In the newspaper business, you don't now, write we the headlines. Readers. Yeah, exactly. We we we, you, we want readers, so yep. let's go with the biggest, the boldest headline we can. Clickbait, clickbait, clickbait. Yeah, I got you. Right. Yeah. Right. I think it may be dead in Los Angeles. I mm-hmm. mean, I you know, at least in 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 politics, it is it may be dead because mm-hmm. politics is all about you know, winning and, and getting what you want. And, and, you know, and I was thinking even during our break, um, Tavis hadn't approached me before, but America has changed. I mean, we are more capitalistic. We are crueler. Mm-hmm. Um, we are more, you know, the top, you know, the, the, the CEO pay has risen dramatically while ours has not. Mm-hmm. 
so I think it's also a, a cruel, it's an every man for himself culture now that we live in. And um, that makes it harder to build coalitions. It makes it harder to feel like somebody has taken something from you. They're taking your spot in college or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that's a part of it, too. And, and I think in Los Angeles, I mean, let's, I, you know, I do, I want to know what you hear think about Carabas's win, too, because yeah. I think that was a case where, you know, it, it worked, but just barely, kind of, you yeah. know? Nope. You you put it together. Oh, you just you said it correctly. Just barely, kind of, <laughs> is the way is the way that, the way that I would put it. And and here's the real test. The real test. And you've been here in the promo. Everybody's been here. We're doing a big uh, celebration, big party for Karen Bass, a, a street party basically, uh, right behind yeah. the station uh, at the intersection of Lamert and Vernon on Saturday, December the tenth. Uh, from 10 to 1, uh, we're going to have a big celebration with some great musical acts. I, I was on the phone all day yesterday confirming musical acts. I'm going to tell you the next day or two some big names who are coming to perform on the stage on Saturday, December the 10th. Uh, since Sandy opened the door, let me just plug it right quick. Saturday, December 10th, 10 a.m. to 1 uh, p.m. Uh, Lemert and Vernon, big stage, free uh, food trucks, celebrities, elected officials, community leaders, and Karen Bass will be on the stage at 11 a.m. Uh, with uh, with KBLA Talk for Canada, 11 a.m. on Saturday, December 10th. It's all free. Come out as we celebrate. Uh, we're calling it Welcome Home, Karen Bass. That's our big event, no. Saturday, December the 10th. Uh, so some news in the next 48 hours here about some big-name acts who are performing and the like, so you don't want to miss our big street party honoring and celebrating Karen Bass on Saturday, December the 10th. And I say all that to say, um, Sandy, to your point, that she put it off, built a coalition just barely, kind of, and she got through it. But that ain't the real test. We talked about Tom Bradley yeah. earlier, who stayed in there for 20 years, built yeah. on coal, based on his coalition building. We're going to see how Karen Bass does in the first term. Uh, of course, she can't do it two terms anyway because of the limits. But it's one thing to to beat the other guy who's a, you know, a billionaire and spending over $100 million. People get turned off by that, I think. Um, and mm-hmm. so we will see how she governs. We will see if solidarity really is dead. She's built her career on being, you know, a person that, that's built coalitions. She started the community yeah. coalition. I mean, that's the name of it, the community coalition. That's what she's known for. Whether or not she can govern that way in a city like this right now on this side of that tape is a whole other issue. Tom Brady didn't have to contend with all of this. Uh, and so yeah. we'll see if Karen Bass can pull it off. So I think you and I are, are simpatico on that, you know, kind of, just barely. But again, <clears throat> the proof's in the pudding. We'll see what happens over the next four years. Which leads me to ask, um, what is your view? You talk about this, uh, you know, you talk not directly. Well, you do, actually, because uh, uh, Garrett talked about it in his comments to you in the piece. What, what's your take on identity politics writ large? Uh, I think identity politics is not a bad thing. I mean, I think I think it's necessary because I think we we do. I mean, our lives are defined in many ways by our identity, whether we like it or not. And and we do have different needs and different views and different ways of being, of of, of thinking about things. And I don't think identity politics is a bad thing. I think that within uh, or surrounding identity politics. You can identify values that are central to all of us, that we can coalition around. But I don't think that's being done because I think the people with the biggest groups say, well, you know, we could steamroll over these people, you know, and get what we need. And and it's easy to convince yourself that what you want is what everybody wants. But, um, you know, there are, there are certain values and there are certain needs and um that are not, you know, in the specific, like, let's say Latinos may want more, uh, you know, Spanish language in schools and, 
and black people might want, you know, meals served or whatever. So there are, there are specific things that each group may want, but there are bigger values that we can coalesce around and, 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 you know, own, proudly own our identity and, and accept. It's like you said about how, you know, they want to, um, you know, just kind of put us at the bottom and, and, mm-hmm. and every, we're the litmus test. Yeah. But there are so much that we have to offer all these other groups because of our history and because of our, our resilience and our strength. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm a, I, I just bought this little thing bag to carry in my purse that says, I am black history. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. No, the thing, the thing, know, the thing yeah. I, I raised that litmus test issue because what, what troubles me about what I heard on that tape, there are any number of things that trouble me. And some of this came out, of course, in my conversation with Kevin DeLeon. But <clears throat> when it comes to the litmus test issue, what troubles me about it is that, as you well know, and you've written about this many times in the course of your brilliant 30 plus year career at the LA Times, black folk kicked down the door. And everybody else walked on through. We kicked down the doors. Everybody else marches through. We taught this country how to protest. At our best, we have always been the conscience of this country. And I don't like it uh, when you hear tapes with this kind of you know nonsense on it. Um, that uh, makes it uh, makes it hard to imagine what they think or how they think they'd be on the city council. How would you be running the Labor Federation in Los Angeles County if black folk hadn't opened the doors or kicked down the doors and made it possible for you to come in? So we become the litmus test and now you want to demonize and disenfranchise us? I don't think so. More with Sandy Banks when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Malik from Malik Books, your community bookstore specializing in African-American books and gifts full of culture diversity. The total African-American experience that brings the world together. MalikBooks.com, your place to shop for books. MalikBooks.com. Malik Books is what you need. Find a righteous range and don't be afraid to say what you see. For KBLA Talk 1580. Apparently, our phones are blowing up. Uh, the little statement that I made <laughs> a few moments ago about uh, Saturday, December the 10th, and some big name acts performing and celebrating uh, uh, Karen Bass. Um, phones are lighting up to into the studio about folk who want to be vendors and have other concerns and issues that they want to um, raise. And no, I shouldn't say concerns and issues. Folk who want to be vendors. It's all good stuff. They want to be vendors. They want to participate. Um, if you're interested in that stuff, you got to call the office, not the not the hotline. Call the office three two three two nine zero four six nine zero. You want to be a vendor. You want to be present uh, with us that day um, to, you know, sell your wares, whatever you want to do. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a business matter. So call the front office three two three two nine zero four six nine zero. Once again, three two three two nine zero four six nine zero. We'll get you to our sales team, and they'll take care of that stuff. Um, for those of you who are interested in being a part of our celebration for Karen Bass, Saturday, December 10th, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the intersection of Lemert and Vernon. More about that in the coming hours. But now back to the few minutes I have left with Sandy Banks. Um, Sandy, if, if we talked about Dr. King earlier. King once said that our destiny, is, as you know, King said our destiny as, as people um, is inextricably linked together. None of us walks alone. That's King, that our destiny is inextricably linked together. As people, none of us walks alone. Uh, if King is right about that, and I suspect he is, on the one hand, and on the other hand, solidarity is dead, what happens in the coming months and years as you see it? I think we have to restore solidarity. And I think, I mean, I liked your metaphor about, you know, we kicked down the doors, you know, and all these other people came rushing in. And, and I'm, I'm glad that people came through those. I'm glad to see all these these people of color, you know, in college, mm-hmm. these young people getting chances that would not have gotten those chances had it been not for us, but 
but don't close it. Try to close the door on us. That's right. You know? That's right. That's right. That that's the, that's the key. So I I do think we can rebuild. I think this can be a wake up call. Um, and and I'm really heartened by the fact that all these people were massing around uh, city council saying you know, trying to force them to, to quit. Mm-hmm. And you had people of all color, you know, there was the part in the in the tape where uh, I think it was Nuri Martinez said, you know, we don't care about George Gascon, he's with the blacks. Mm-hmm. And you had all these people then showing up at the council meeting, p- people of every color, wearing T-shirts that said, we're with the black. I'm with the blacks. Yep. <laughs> and I think, and again, I think that's heartening. So I think this could be a wake-up call for us yeah. and, and could help us, you know, reevaluate our need for solidarity and our need for coalition building. And and that's what I hope will come out of it. But yeah. for now, I'm a black, I'm just black. I'm not people of color. You know? <laughs> I'm just black. I'm just black. And on, on that note, uh, when we come forward, I, I, I wanted to ask, she basically asked, Answer just now the question that I wanted to ask. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask it anyway in case there's something else she wants to uh, unpack for me. But if you do away with terms like people of color and communities of color, what do you replace it with? I think you just heard Sandy's answer already. But when we come forward, I'll ask that question of her directly and expressly. Sandy Banks is on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Uh, I was reminded during that break of a guest we had on this program um, some weeks ago. Had an amazing conversation, uh, and people were all over that, all over that that uh, that uh, debate. Um, but uh, the guest's name was Kelly Hernandez. Kelly Hernandez is the is the is the author's name, professor back east. Uh, her book is called Racial Innocence: Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias and the Struggle for Equality. Again, the book is called Racial Innocence. Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias and the Struggle for Equality, a powerful book, an amazing conversation. If you didn't hear it, check out the podcast of that conversation with Kelly Hernandez or get a copy of that book. And I thought about that, given what Sandy and I have been talking about in this hour and what Sandy wrote in her column, her powerful column. But that book is something I recommend, Racial Innocence, Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias. And the struggle for equality. That book came out before this tape dropped, but the timing of it could not be more propitious. I highly recommend that book to you from the author, Kelly Hernandez. And check out the podcast um, of our conversation with her by going to any of our platforms. In the two and a half minutes I have left with Sandy Banks. Um, Sandy, uh, my my question was, if we're not going to use terms like people of color and we're not going to use terms like communities of color in part because we're at the bottom of that barrel anyway and – uh, you see this sort of a Latino anti-black bias on the part of many, not all, but in that community. Um, what do we replace those terms with? I, I think that we should scrap them as a as a political uh, term because that signifies that we're all under this umbrella and we all want and need the same thing, which is not true. Um, but if people want to use it in general, you know, that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. But but I just think, and what the, the, the Loyola professor found, uh, uh, Gara found that, when he talks to Latinos about what they want to be called, they don't even want to be called Latino. They want to be called Honduran or Mexican or Guatemalan or whatever. So, um, you know, I just think, I mean, I, we could also go with colors, you know, we're black and we're brown and, um, but, but I just, I think that lumping us together is, is makes it easy for the policymakers and the politicians, but for the rest of us, let us just be who we are. Just call, you know, I mean, I'm a black American, and, and that's what I, you know, and, and if someone's a Mexican-American or a Cuban-American or whatever, or, or they're Puerto Rican, you know, 
those are di- those are separate yeah. groups. They may be you know connected by language or 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 culture or customs, but their history and their trajectory in getting here is different. Yeah. So um, you know what do we call what you know we don't call I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just think the label labels are a nice way, a tidy way to categorize people. Uh, I got you. But life is not a tidy thing. It is it not is not tidy at all. It is not. Like Sandy Banks, I'm a black American too. Or you can just call me Tavis. That works too. Uh, yeah, that- <laughs> <laughs> her name is Sandy Banks, and I call her I call her brilliant columnist. Uh, Thirty plus years now in all kind of roles. At the L.A. Times. I don't know if the L.A. Times even understands or appreciates this. And there's a brother now running the L.A. Times. I've known Kevin for years. I'm proud of Kevin. Kevin Merida runs that paper. But uh, there's no black person in this city who has been more dedicated and more devoted and has written better stuff for the L.A. Times than Sandy Banks. And I, I, I hope at some point the L.A. Times finds a way to honor her. They really don't appreciate all that she has meant to this paper for over three decades. But those of us who read her work know why we love Sandy Banks. The piece we've been talking about in this hour is called Lessons of the Audio Leak. Solidarity is dead. Let's ditch the label people of color by Sandy Banks. Sandy, thank you for the time once again. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Happy holidays to you. Thank you so much, Tavis. Thank you. All the best to you. Hour three of Tavis Molly. After news, traffic, and sports, you're listening to KBLA Talk 15. Malik Books. I'm Malik from Malik Books, your community bookstore specializing in African-American books and gifts full of culture diversity. The total African-American experience that brings the world together. MalikBooks.com, your place to shop for books. MalikBooks.com. Malik Books is what you need.